Talking industry, providing the manufacturing community with a voice and connecting industry. The Live Editions, brought to you from the Manufacturing Technology Centre, in partnership with Oinkner, Rittel and ePlan. Ladies and gentlemen, I think we're pretty much ready to uh, kick off in our post-lunch session. And this afternoon, we'll be talking about industrial data and AI. Um, I'll explain a little bit about the protocols. Um, there are no fire alerts uh, expected. So if you hear one, we go out this way and we follow the instructions. Um, you will see on the main screen and also on the screen behind me, there's a barcode. So if you want to ask any questions, you can, uh, you can do that through that barcode and it will put you to an, a WhatsApp group and you can type your questions in and they appear on my magic console here. So that's quite a convenient way of, of asking questions and lots of people have used that actually this morning. Um, but if you don't fancy that, um, the traditional method of putting your hand up is equally effective and we will respect that. And my colleague Aaron here has, um, I think, a microphone, so he can do the hard yards if you want to, uh, to speak into the microphone in the conventional way. Um, the way I'll do this is I'll, I'll ask the speakers to introduce themselves in reverse order. So very briefly, we'll ask Roman to go first. That's Roman Kastizik, um, followed by Mustafizur, and, third, and thirdly, but firstly for presentation, will be Stuart. And so Stuart will go naturally into the first presentation. So hopefully that makes sense. Um, I, I did speak to uh, Mustafizur um, during we have a pre-meeting before we do these things, and I asked him, how to pronounce his name, and he said, well, I really don't mind. Um, and I, funnily enough, I have the same problem because my, my name of Pi is very short, but people have an awful lot of trouble spelling it. Um, and my wife is Italian, and when we go to Italy, there's no Y in the Italian alphabet, so it completely confuses everybody. Um, so I certainly sympathize. Um, so um, essentially what we're going to try to do is give you um, an introduction into the into the culture behind artificial intelligence and machine learning and what opportunities it offers, um, and then how we might go about implementing it. And hopefully, there are people in the um, audience who are thinking about um, using AI techniques, perhaps for the first time. So we want to hear from you, learn a little bit about what your issues are, and hopefully help you and point you in the right direction. So that's the key essence. And our first two speakers are both from the MTC with specific expertise in that side of it. Um, and Stuart is particularly interesting to me because he's, uh, he's got a past life in designing systems for tracking cricket balls. Um, I'm uh, a, a long-standing cricketer myself and I play for the Kent over 70s now. Um, so uh, uh, very interested in that technology. I could bore everybody for an hour about that, so we won't mention it again. Um, so um, the idea is that those two will speak in general terms about some of the, uh, the issues and capabilities. And then Roman will talk about particular technologies that help in implementing. So we're going from the general to perhaps more specific. Between each presentation, 
we'll have a little chat amongst ourselves. We're picking up an issue or two that we might want to talk about. And then once all three presentations have happened, then we open the floor to everybody to ask further questions. Um, you can ask questions right now. Um, and um, if they go through the WhatsApp, I'll, I'll have them here. Um, so don't be shy. Be, be keen to, to ask questions, and we'll deal with them later. Right. So no further ado, I will ask Roman to introduce himself first, just briefly in half a minute, and then we'll go to the other speakers. Thanks. Uh, hi, my name is Roman Kastusik. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm lead product architect at TDAP.ai, and uh, we are building a product called Octopod uh, for machine learning in IoT. And so as, as Andy said, I'll be talking this technological perspective on today's conversation. Thanks. Thank you. Right, Mostafa Zui, yeah, you're, you're next. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. So this is Mostafa Zui Roman. I'm one of the technical specialists uh, for MPC, and I work for the Digital Engineering Group. And my area of uh, uh, specialization is on AI and data science. I've been playing with them for over 23 years now. So I joined MPC in 2014, one of the first uh, to start this team. So with three uh, people now, we have got almost... 40 uh, colleagues working on uh, different areas of data science and uh, informatics. And uh, yeah, I have got a background on AI uh, in, uh, in, in, I did my master's in AI and PhD as well. I also spent a good amount of time, over 11 years as an academic, teaching and uh, doing research on AI and data science. I presume things have changed quite a lot over 11 years. It's quite a fast-moving field, isn't it? So. Yes, uh, yeah, I, first time I, 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 I learned about machines when I joined MPC, so i never seen them before. So I was doing uh, AI and data science for medical for a long time. So this was my first when I joined, and I was probably kind of overwhelmed with seeing the lots of machines and lots of opportunities. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Stuart, it uh, falls to you to uh, introduce yourself last, and then away you go. Hi, yeah. Um, Stuart McLeod, and just like you, I get a lot of different spellings of my name as well. <laughs> um, but uh, I've got a background. Uh, originally an electronic engineer by trade, working in the in the military area. Um, I then went to a place called Loughborough University, um, where I was studying uh, component-based automation. I was supposed to be there for two years. 18 years later, I was still there. We got to work with some great projects, cricket ball tracking, um, ripping of rugby shirts, um, working with Ford doing component-based automation, and uh, a whole host of other companies like Tetra Pak. So, it was a great place to work. I learned a lot about automation systems. I learned a lot about systems integration. Um, not so much about AI, but I've been slowly moving into that area and how that can support with the engineering tools that are coming out now with AI and, and the deployment effects. And I joined the MTC August 2001. Uh, we've got a great department here that, um, that look after everything from connectivity to right the way up to AI and visualization. So. Um, team of 35 people, which I've been uh, uh, privileged to lead over the past uh, past 18 months, nearly. Okay, so because I'm old, I've written some notes down as well. But um, just to, to talk about the things that we do here at the at the MTC. So, as I said, we cover everything from uh, connectivity, uh, 5G, and we also cover things like data engineering and the the AI um, aspects of that and the high-end visualization, so VR and AR. The reason being is all that goes together to produce a system. So what have we, what have we been looking at? We've been looking at um, additive manufacturing 
and CT scanning, where, how AI can play a part in optimizing those processes. We've been looking at the manufacturing processes uh, and how you can optimize <coughs> the process lines. Also, how you can do the predictive and preventative maintenance that's, that's been um, targeted with AI as well. Um, other areas we've been looking at are quality improvements. So how do you record quality? How do you um, get back from customer information back to root cause analysis? So using AI to actually pick that information up and actually target where the problem had, uh, has, has um, come from. Um, so AI has been around for over a decade. Um, but it's not really had much pickup in manufacturing. Um, in other areas such as finance, um, there seems to be a lot more take up on AI and there's a lot more use of it. Um, so looking into, into that, um, seems to be a lack of trust. A manufacturing system has to operate 24-7. It's a very complex system with large amounts of data, which has got different um, aspects of importance. So it could be production data, it could be quality data, it could be um, cost data, it, you know, performance data, time critical information, they're all different. They all have to be handled in different ways and they all have to be integrated uh, in different ways. It also requires a great deal of domain knowledge. So to understand a, a robot is different to understand a, uh, a finishing machine, which is different to understand a manual assembly process putting doors on a vehicle. Um, so each one of those requires a domain expert working with AI to actually then get the best out of that. Um, we've talked about the complexity in the data, but that is one of the big things that you'll, you'll probably find in any, any of your AI projects is people often used to come to me when I was working in the automotive industry and says, I can save you so much money by implementing AI. That doesn't transfer to anything until you have the data. So you'll spend all your time giving him all the information, all the domain knowledge for him to put his little piece on the top, which is the icing on the cake. So that's, that's where a lot of the work goes. Um, and there's also the risk. So when you implement something in manufacturing, it's all great until it goes wrong at two o'clock in the morning. Then your production system's down, you've got a maintenance operator scratching his head of how do I even remove this? make it work, uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a real problem. So we need to look at how we support these guys. Um, and also, uh, manufacturing systems change. How do we support that change? How do we say, there's a new product coming in. I can't wait to train that model for two months, three weeks. It has to work when it hits the shop floor. So you know, what, what are the things we could do there? Um, so interestingly, I asked um, uh, ChatGPT, obviously, you know, what, were the, what were the main issues? And they, they came back and says, yep, lack of expertise. So there's no expertise in the, in the, in the industry. Data quality bias. You know, if you don't have quality data, you're not going to get the right results. Integration to legacy systems. Manufacturing legacy systems are completely good. Um, uh, lack of uh, return on investment. How do you, how do you quantify those, those, uh, that return on investment of your projects? And the ethical considerations. Uh, and talking of which, I did ask Michael Schumacher to comment, but <laughs> he could only comment through ChatGPT. Um, so finally, I want to be, you know, I want to say AI is a, is a really great tool. There are lots of applications that are off the shelf with lots of toolkits you can bring, but it's how do you then use that? How do you make the most of it? How do you maintain an update? 
So beware of people selling your stake oil with, with um, um, AI. And also remember, don't just think of AI as the answer to everything. When you're walking down the road and you see a bird flying and it gives you an idea, that's the things that AI don't give you. They don't give you that free thinking. You're asking it to do specific questions, answer specific questions. People around you give you that blue sky thinking and thinking differently. Yeah, interesting. I mean, quite foreboding in many ways, I, I guess. And, you know, how, how, I mean, quite interestingly, let's just look at the audience for a minute. And let's say if you know nothing about AI, don't put any hands up. If you think you know a lot, put two hands up. And if you're in the middle, put one hand up. And we'll just have a quick look at uh, where we sit. Right. So we're, we're kind of in the middle, aren't we? So in terms of expertise and and do people have projects in mind or projects actually operating? Maybe one hand up if you do. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we might come, a, come, come for you later and uh, try and learn a little bit about what your experiences are and, um, and uh, you know, where you hope to go in the future because that, that's something that lots of people can learn from. Um, yeah, you mentioned chat GPT and uh, my ex-business um, partner is far, far long way ahead than I am at the moment in following that. Um, and he mentioned some risks, you know, which are basically bugs being one in, in AI systems and, and the other one being bad actors, you know, people yeah. who might use them for um, less than, less than uh, altruistic purposes. So um, where do you kind of see that as a risk? You... You, I mean, trustworthy AI is a is a is a key factor that, that that we need to consider. You look at a lot of disinformation that's being put out. That is something that you've really got to consider. You've got to consider the quality of your data source, the governance of your data source. Um, I think somebody somebody else was mentioning it the other day, but don't don't worry too much about it as long as you understand the quality of the data that's going in. You can actually make the decisions coming out. But don't just rely on it. It's not just, it, it doesn't do everything for you. You have to still provide some information in there. And, and is, the, is the right way to approach it to start small and then accelerate? Well, I was going to ask the question, you know, the, yeah. the projects that were being put out, are these proof of concept projects or are these uh, production projects? Or? Yeah. 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 So, so, so there's nobody who's really a long way ahead in there. Uh, in running, a, which which is, I guess, why we're all here, isn't yeah. it? So, um, <clears throat> let's let's just hear from Roman on his reactions to the discussion so far, and then we'll go back to Mustafa for his presentation. Now, I think uh, everything that uh, was mentioned is very important in terms of domain knowledge and trust. This these are very important areas, and I'm, I'm I guess I'm sorry to say that I'm not surprised by people having projects in the POC um, phase because it's it's quite hard to move past that because there is certain there are certain technological barriers and um, also governance barriers as well because people don't want to mess things up and the legislation is changing all the time so you need to keep up with that and make sure that uh, whatever you are doing uh, in your production systems does not is not going to result in a huge fine just because of lack of awareness or because of the of the of the options uh, of the of the problems you didn't know you had, and I think we're, we're gonna we're gonna touch on it more a bit later when we're talking about pr productionizing your your ML, some of the challenges there, including trust in 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 making sure that the production doesn't fall 
when you do implement implement AI. And do you agree with that idea that you should start small and and build up, see a specific Absolutely. opportunity? Absolutely. I mean, it's it would be foolish to walk into anything blindly. So starting small is always a good idea. However, uh, the problem that we saw in a lot of clients is that you never go big after starting small because of those barriers to sort of scaling even the experimentation phase, even the POC phase. You may be able to do a POC on one machine, but if you want to train uh, on data from hundreds of machines, this suddenly becomes much, much more complicated and uh, this projects never leave POC stage. So while it is necessary to start small, the path to big should be clearly mapped out. Otherwise, you might never get there. So it's important to have a company-wide strategy as well as looking at, if you like, proof of concept um, applications to, to, to learn more about the process, I guess. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and as, uh, as Stuart said, there is, uh, AI is not a one thing that will answer all your questions. You're looking at the very specific questions that it can answer. And so you train it to answer those very specific questions. But as you said, there needs to be a company-wide strategy in terms of how you then put this uh, loads of different systems that answer small questions so they are sort of helping the bigger picture in the end. Excellent. Okay, Mustafiza, we, we'll hear from you now. Um, uh, you're welcome to comment on anything that we've discussed so far, but I'm also conscious that you've, um, you've led several industrial projects primarily looking at AI, so tell us a bit more about, about the background to that. Yeah, I probably will uh, start from that point, uh, that, uh, you know, a strategy point of view. So, as I mentioned earlier, that uh, I've been playing with AI since the last 23 years. The first time when I started AI as uh, one of my undergraduate module, it was 2000 probably, or uh, I can't remember, maybe it was, yeah, just, just around 2000, so 23 years back. I never thought that I would be leaving with this for that long, uh, but he ended up continuing with that one. So since then, you know, the understanding of AI and definition of AI has changed. Now everything is AI, okay? And everything is a digital twin. So we have to live with it, so we can't challenge. Uh, this is uh, becoming the common understanding, so we have to uh, redefine that, uh, you know, understanding of AI. So we've been using AI for decades. I mean, means that current understanding of AI. So we've been playing with the data, analyzing them, either applying a different statistical approach or probably machine learning for a long time. So being part of uh, you know several industrial projects and uh, you know helping industry defining their AI strategy, what we have learned that there's a huge potential because. Manufacturing is a sector where we have got unlimited number of use cases. In other sector, we have got very uh, defined, simple use cases. Go for fraud detection, count these uh, you know, visitor statistics, build a recommender system. So you will have only few use cases which are really mature because the whole world is working towards those three or four use cases. But for manufacturing, hundreds of different machines, hundreds of different use cases. So the question I often get asked that, okay, so there are huge opportunities, so why it is not really happening? And why still everyone is raising their hand, we are still uh, you know, thinking about it or doing proof of concept? 
So I'll, I'll go back to the point that uh, Stuart has shared, that this iceberg, uh, you know, the issue that we, we only see the top of it, okay? But that the whole, you know, the main effort that we need is on the bottom of that ice, ice cube. Means that the data, the manufacturing data is not uh, AI friendly or data science friendly. They're coming from different legacy systems, different uh, file formats, different standards, and we love creating standards. If you're facing with you know, issues with one standard, we will create another standard tomorrow, and we will keep creating more standards rather than really sticking with, sticking with one and uh, further developing that one. We have got another uh, legacy problem. We don't like to follow the trend for other domain. We like to create our own. Uh, infrastructure, our own standard. So we always struggle with that one. This is uh, a common problem. We, for an example, for AI data or even data standards, we probably could follow uh, like, you know, finance uh, or e-commerce standard, but we are following our, we are creating our own standards and we are asking AI to follow us rather than we follow AI. So th th there are quite a lot of challenges on uh, the bottom of that ice box and we're still struggling collecting the data, making that digital thread so that everything is really fine-tuned and nicely formatted for the data scientists to play with it so that we can productionize the AI. So that bit is still, uh, we, we were struggling and that is the main challenge. Another one uh, Stuart mentioned about uh, the domain knowledge. So this is what I've been, uh, you know, saying uh, last week on one, one of the other, another podcast that, for an example, we do go to, uh, uh, you know, hospitals and, and do quite a lot of uh, diagnosis, right, for our uh, health checkup and get a blood report and very nice statistics, nice, uh, you know, uh, signed web. Do they mean anything for, to us? Do we understand them? Can we interpret what they mean? No. We can't because we don't have that domain knowledge. Even I'm a data scientist, I can't really read them and understand what they mean. So we need to have a domain knowledge to understand. So uh, being a data scientist probably is not really enough for manufacturing to interpret the result analytics that we are getting. We need to have that domain knowledge. Means it should be a teamwork rather than one individual data scientist. So we are struggling to even recruit that for this manufacturing industry. We are recruiting people from uh, fine tech. We are recruiting people from you know, e-commerce and asking them to deliver the manufacturing data science. And they are struggling and they're leaving the job because they can generate the uh, you know, uh, analytics, but they can't interpret. They can't prescribe. They don't understand what they mean uh, to them. So this is a, another a skill, uh, you know, challenge that we, we need to work together to solve. So we are currently addressing that, uh, working with AMTC, uh, designing quite a few, uh, uh, you know, training courses to upskill manufacturing engineers to become data scientists and vice versa. We have got a few other training courses to give a little bit of orientation to the data scientists about the manufacturing. As I said earlier, that when I joined MTCI struggles, I came from completely, you know, data science uh, domain. I'd never seen a machine in my life. And I was also struggling. It took really a long time, two, uh, one or two years to understand 
what the manufacturing is and how I can apply those data science techniques to manufacturing. So this is this is another area that uh, you know how we can probably work together to help uh, you know building those skill sets and create that team. So going back to that point that in order to really uh, provide the actual data science solution to manufacturing, there are different skill sets that we need. We need data engineers to create those data pipelines. They are not data scientists. They don't understand the analytics. They do understand how to create the data pipeline, how to uh, process the data or prepare the data, which we call as ETL, uh, export, transport, and load, how to store them, how to manage those data, many different things to play with this bottom up. And then we need data scientists and also we need in middle the domain knowledge expert who will help us defining what they need. So going back to uh, Aruma's point that, that the strategy, so where we should be starting uh, our journey. We can't just, I mean, I would never recommend to just try different things, you know, playing with different proof of concept okay, without knowing why we are doing them. Where is our top level, uh, you know, view? Where is our objective? I mean, what are our goals? And, where, uh, you know, the defining that strategy first, defining those business KPIs first, then, uh, you know, uh, prioritizing them, okay? I have got 10 KPIs, business KPI, which I brought to, Actually, for an example, I like to increase my production rate. I would like to uh, minimize my, uh, you know, scrap or increase the quality. Many different KPIs that we might have. So list them down, then prioritize them, then start focusing on the top and start creating the, uh, you know, um, proof of concept for those things. So you know what you are doing. So for that, you need to have a domain knowledge. So within that team, someone will be driving that strategy. Someone will be, you know, defining those questions. As Stuart was saying that, you know, ChatGPT example, if you can ask the right question, you will get the answer. If your question is not right, you're definitely not going to get the answer that you are looking for. So having the right question is the main, main challenge rather than answer. Answer should be within the question if you're asking the right question. So that person needs to be within that team to drive this, 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 uh, you know, two uh, main uh, actors. Then we need to have another, you know, set of skill set who will help us productionizing those uh, solutions that we are developing. They will be <coughs> people having uh, knowledge of software engineering, not necessarily data scientists, not necessarily data engineering, but should have a knowledge of a little bit of everything so that they can productionize the uh, data science solution. And this is not really end of the uh, you know, circle or a story, it's a circle. We need to treat the data science product as the way we are treating our machines. It is a life cycle. We need to monitor them because it's the intelligence, right? The way human, human being monitored, uh, our behavior and you know, uh, a, a, our, uh, help, we need to monitor the AI solution as well. How they are performing? What changes they need to make? Uh, is there anything changed within the circumstances or the training data that we have used to train that model? 
for an example, there might be different models where we have uh, we might have used uh, a, a one attribute that how many times people are traveling, uh, so that I can understand that might uh, that person might have a, a you know something to uh, get something right. That might have already changed during the pandemic. People are not uh, traveling. We're not traveling like the way they were traveling before. So the, the model that I have got will probably not be uh, performing well because of the the features uh, has changed. So means that many things might have might have changed, or uh, you know you might have changed the uh, monitoring system. You might have changed your machines. You might have changed your objectives. So you need to monitor them, feed them back retrain the model and push the model in the production. So it's a life cycle. So it's not one off job. Someone needs to really be uh, in charge of monitoring and maintaining that life cycle. So it's a team. Can I ask, I mean, uh, yeah. somebody with a background in manufacturing and not in data science, I, I noticed that the term domain knowledge is quite regularly used by, I think, all of you guys. Um, do you see manufacturing as a single domain, or is it different domains for different sectors or different objectives? Um, do you want to take that one? Um, yeah, no, it's completely different. If you look at if you look at what's happening in aerospace, it's completely different to what's happening in um, fast-moving consumer white goods. It's different to what's in the automotive. Um, each domain has their own attributes, uh, whether it's speed, whether it's quality, whether it's uh, what type of performance that we talked about, KPIs, they're, they're different for each domain. Even within the industries and within one plant, there will be different domain experts depending on the use case that you are trying to solve with mm -hmm. ML because when you are trying to optimize something, you need a person who deeply understands the functioning of the machine uh, and, and at the same time the role of the machine in a bigger picture on the plant, on the factory floor. Stuff like this. So there can be multiple different domains within the same organization. That, that's kind of what I was sort of expecting the answer to be. So mm -hmm. I, I almost feel a little bit relieved because, because, because you'd start with defining what your strategy is through KPIs and then um, that helps you determine what type of data you need and how you're going to find it. And I suppose the key thing is to break down silos between the data scientist and the people who really understand that specific business. So, so is it really a management issue? You know, that, that may really make us unique, that MPC, uh, to help the industry because, as Roman was saying, that, you know, you need domain expert for each use case. This is really quite true. And at MPC, we have got all the departments, for example, metrology, MNDT, uh, we have got additive manufacturing, we have got production, we have got robotics, we have got almost every uh, you know, engineering team. So we can easily pick someone okay, and color them into our team and then help us defining those things and they can walk away after defining uh, you know, that, that scope. So yes, this is one of the challenges that the whole industry is facing, that when they are going to the well-known, probably well-established data science company to uh, you know, get some help, this company are also is struggling because they don't have all the domain knowledge in-house. They have got a good, strong data science team, but they are lacking with that. So we are, again, partnering with them, covering for those uh, you know, skill sets that they need. So it's, it's, it's not, not that easy, to be honest. Yeah. 
good yeah. example of that. Yeah. We had a project um, where we went pure data science. Uh, we took a whole production line. We took all the data that we could get. We took data from social media. We took data from weather. And then we did a, an exploratory um, to see if we could see uh, exploratory projects to see if we could see any information that we could get as to why the production line might be down. Is there anything that, that's, that's indicating what the production line is down? And the big lesson we learned is correlation is not the same as causation. So we got lots of information saying your production line is going down because of something that's happening in social media, something's happening in the weather. And you actually look at it and you analyze the problem and people came up with the solutions, not the AI. It pointed to some, some causation, but it wasn't the root cause. And that's where the domain knowledge, the data science is different from the domain knowledge. It's the people that solve the problem. We've, we've got some really good questions coming in. So I'd, I'd like to take some of these now and then we'll, we'll come to Roman for his piece afterwards. And a um, couple here, um, one's quite straightforward one, but it's um, it, what industries do you expect to be affected by AI and OWL? And I noted that in your introduction, um, you mentioned um, preventive maintenance, which I guess would be quite a general application across lots of things. And then you, you mentioned CT scanning or medical yeah. applications, which is, I guess, a much more specific kind of area. But can I ask the three of you, you know, which, which industries do you think this is likely to be most successful in? And then the, the corollary was what background skills are required to understand and implement AI? <laughs> can, I, can I take? Yeah, yeah. So the answer, you know, my views and the first one is that, you know, the 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 quick wins are on uh, vision, vision based system. I mean, where we, you know, human probably we we are spending in a good amount of time. Uh, looking at something and taking some action. Sometimes we, we can perform well, sometimes we struggle, which require a hell lot of, uh, you know, manpower. And uh, that that area is not really uh, optimized, I should say. I'm not saying that we are, we are trying to get rid of human and putting uh, AI in. Think about uh, many safety critical systems you are driving in a motorway and uh, something is on the road, uh, a litter or a piece of tire, and it might cause a huge uh, danger to, to, to the uh, people. What if we could have an AI system could detect where it is and someone can go and collect that one. You see this kind of visual, so, and, and also this applies to many different applications in manufacturing where there is a visual inspection is needed. So this is a really quick win type of thing because this this kind of AI been matured enough to cover those things. And uh, another area that uh, probably you know visualization of the data. So more visualization that you have meant that the more visibility that you will have of your data or production or whatever that you have got, the better uh, decision that you can make. So these two, at least as a minimum, uh, you know, probably will, will change the, uh, the industry. And my view on the second one uh, is that, you know, what skill set that is required to start with the uh, AI data science. Uh, to me, 
that the basic understanding of the methodology is really important. Only playing with data and visualizing it without understanding the bigger context, like a top-level picture, how it will work, probably will not really uh, complete uh, the knowledge or application. So we should have a basic understanding of methodology. And AI and data science, I mean, today, uh, today's AI version of AI and data science is not really a rocket science anymore. Uh, I had to write codes for each and every line for neural network when I did my first AI uh, 15, 10, 20 years back. Now you just drag and drop. It means that you need to have an ability of defining what to do and how to do tools will be there to do for you. So you don't need to really write too much code. So what you need to understand is the methodology and having an ability of defining, breaking down the problem so that you can draw the bubbles that this is what I would really like to do. The, the, you know, the solution uh, should be like that. And that should be enough to start with, play with all no-code tools, and slowly we'll be getting into the course where we need. Can I um, just ask you one more question, and, and I'll go down the line, and then we'll finish with Roman and uh, listen to what he um, what his expertise is in challenging or meeting the challenge of solving big problems using data. But the question I'd like to ask first is quite a general one again, which is whether there's even an answer to it. What would standard data need to look like within manufacturing to be AI friendly? What are, what are we actually asking our manufacturers to deliver so that you can work with it? That is a really, really good question. Uh, and again, it depends on the problem that you're looking at. It really does. I mean, we talked about vision system data. So that, that you know, that has to be um, information that you can teach. Uh, you can identify things. If you've got uh, production data, it's got to be time sensitive. So you can then do the correlation between uh, the data stamp. You know, there's lots of different ways you can do that, but you need to understand the question you're asking of it as well. So, yeah, it's uh, it's not one one thing. I think that's the complexity of manufacturing data. It's different in different areas, and it's different to answer different questions. So there's not one answer to that one. I would uh, take a stab. Sorry, I take a stab at formulating one in one word. It's labeled. I think this is very important to have data labeled or being. Uh, being so for example vision is, is is a very cool area but it it there is an extra challenge of labeling because unless human sees something and says whether it's right or wrong we do not we do not know which one it is and so when we feed the data into the machine we need we need to do a huge work of labeling all of those images sometimes what uh what uh, um uh, manufacturers and and in other areas what what they do is that there is a human that is uh, still doing the quality control, for example, but also they now have two buttons that are labeling the image, whether it's, it's, it's good or bad. And so this is how you build data set. With time series data, it is a bit easier in a sense that if you have, for example, an event, if you have a record of machine stopping, then you can correlate all of your data to that stoppage. But you need to make sure that it is recorded alongside all of your data. 
because when if you're thinking about machine learning and we we are talking about answering a specific question, the machine will only learn to answer this question if you give it some examples mm-hmm. of the answer. Obviously, some some unsupervised uh, techniques aside. So I say thinking about labeling, thinking about what is the valuable things that you might want to predict or that might you might want to use to construct the 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 predictor is 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 very important and this is something that from my experience people don't often think from the start when they are getting into poc so absolutely so for an example if we if we consider the data from uh, finance sector for for an example detecting fraud or probably doing credit score what data that they are using simple the people profile and what they they you know their characters are or something like that so everything is really streamlined in one line cause and effect cause and effect cause and effect manufacturing data is not like that so we have got uh, quality systems which is just grabbing the information about the quality without considering the rest of the production line and we have got another system capturing the data for production line. I have got, we have got another system capturing data from different things. Now, none of the databases are really synchronized to label them. Okay, so means that we have got X, Y, Z, and this is my, uh, you know, that uh, outcome. So none of the data are really ni- nicely synchronized. If you don't have that synchronized data, you can't really do anything. So I know this is the effect but the causes are for different effects. They are not really linked, they're not synchronized, so you can't have the right label data. So that's the bit that we are, you know, whole industries are struggling to make the data streamlined, traceable, that for this I have all the data. This is what we call as a data science friendly at least uh, format. Then you can apply lots of, the, if they are not even in the same format, different format. Nowadays, it's not that that big issue because you have got tools to do the ETL process and streamline them, create the data science friendly format like you know JSON and different uh, standard that we are using. That is probably doable, but what is not doable is the data being captured in different timestamps and you can't synchronize them later. No, those data are absolutely useless for data science application. So, so the picture I'm getting is that is that manufacturing is much more complicated than, say, finance data. Absolutely. And yet here we are with the financiers earning mega bucks and the engineers earning pe- peanuts. Not always. It works. doesn't seem really fair, <laughs> does it? Um, so, uh, Roman, tell us a bit about your business and what you're doing and how how you approach this and how your customers come to you yeah. and. Uh, the technology of federated learning as well, which sounds quite interesting. So if you can explain yeah. to so our audience about those. Many of the challenges that we've talked about, if we look at them from a technological perspective, we identified three main areas. One is the privacy and security. This, all, 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 of course, comes back to trust that we said. Um, but this also comes back to the fact that data sharing is a, can be a complicated ordeal due to regulatory requirements and also due to uh, just different parties might not want to share the data and it's risky from the cybersecurity aspect, right? So this is one. Number two 
again come into trust in the systems uh, is uh, device resiliency. So we may you need to be sure uh, we need to make sure a device can fall back on some safer path if something goes wrong. We need to make sure any production critical assets are not jeopardized, are not at risk because of because of AI, and uh, we need to make sure that the device will be functioning completely even if connection is lost. Which brings me to the third point, which is connectivity. Uh, network availability and costs. When I just started working with manufacturing clients, I thought, well, how hard can it be to throw an Ethernet connection, uh, sorry, an Ethernet cable down the manufacturing plant? Turned out pretty pretty hard. So loads of uh, loads of our clients re uh, resolved to cellular connection. In some cases, even that is not an option. If you if you're thinking about application like offshore wind. They cannot have cellular connection because they're too far. Cables are breaking, so their only reserve is a satellite, and this is quite expensive. So, re uh, reducing reliance on network and costs on the network is 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 also a big a big driver. And so, we think that federated learning as a technology can answer uh, these three problems. Now, federated learning is. Uh, I think the easiest way to explain is in contrast with the traditional machine learning. So normally, if you have multiple machines in the field doing something and you want to optimize uh, their behavior, you would collect data from all of them into a central location. Then you would train a big machine learning model on all of that data. And then you would deploy uh, that machine learning model either in the cloud or hopefully you will send it back to the device so it runs right next to where the data is being generated, right? So, but that introduces all of the problems I mentioned above. It takes a lot of a lot of network to to transfer that data because it's gigabytes, and if not terabytes. Uh, it takes its privacy and security risk because you are centralizing the data, you are moving the data around. If you are an equipment manufacturer and you sell to different companies who are effectively competitive with each other, they will not be so keen on mixing their data with their competitors. So again, this is a problem. So instead, what we do is we create a training program and we send a training program onto each of your machines. And we do training at the data source. So we do training on the equivalent machines right there. And then we just transfer back the results of the training. So the model parameters, which would come from gigabytes to kilobytes or megabytes. And then we take all of those, let's say we had 100 machines, we do 100 identical trainings, we receive 100 models back, and we aggregate those models in such a way that the resulting sort of global model, as we call it, will be as good as if we were to centralize all of the data. So without moving the data, without risking its, uh, its, its, its leakage, without uh, paying huge cloud and network costs for all those gigabytes and terabytes, um, we receive we get the model that is even, even uh, which is the same. Right? So now uh, uh, the the next bit is so that is federated learning. Uh, what I want to address next is uh, what uh, uh, Mustafa said very uh, very correctly about the that the fact that you get the model is not the end. You then need to monitor it. You then need to make sure that. Uh, it runs well, that it's updated, and uh, this is an area that is called MLOps. And there are some serious, uh, um, uh, there are some good systems for centralized MLOps when you're just doing things in the cloud. However, being distributed, uh, MLOps 
present additional challenges because there are there is monitoring that you want to do both at the local level at the machines or as we call at the edge and on the global level in the cloud so if we are running on the edge we need to be able without connecting to the internet say are we performing as expected? Is the data that we are seeing is similar to the data that we used for the training? You know, is the model still relevant? And if it's not, we need to be able to take an action right there at the edge without waiting for the connection, without being reliant on that on that cloud process. So we can do some re local retraining, and if we see that the model is better than it was uh, than it used to, then we put it into production right here and then. And then we send the signal back to the cloud saying that this device has experienced a, a drift in performance, right? And then on the cloud side, we will have a view of a global state of our machines. And if we are saying, okay, maybe 60, 70% of the machines have now experienced a certain problem, then we can do a, about a of global retraining of some global update, right? And this is just one relatively simple example of the complexity of the questions we need to start uh, answering when we want to deploy machine learning models onto the onto the distributed systems, and so what we do uh, in, in, in Octopi, which is our product, is we really try to enable uh, manufacturers and people who are holding IoT in state to experiment and to do those to take those POCs to high scale experiments and then to production by providing all of that software infrastructure around it because when when you hire data scientists you want them to really learn the domain knowledge rather than acquire additional skills of networking of how docker works of how connect to remote devices of how to record all of the metadata so for the lack of not a particularly glamorous analogy but we, we think that we provide the plumbing for you to really do continue doing the creative and the hard thing which is to ideate to create models to create experiments and, and we will help you to run them on big scales in a federated manner and then help you put things into production with uh, monitoring that is state-of-the-art. We are constantly reading latest academic papers on this on these things and we are really introducing them into, into, into our product. And coming back to trust and resiliency and security, there is, um, there is a... Uh, there is a system of fallbacks that we're introducing as well, because if something is going wrong, if the sensor is being knocked out, you know, which is a, a, again a, a common problem because manufacturing floor is not a particularly pristine environment. People are moving around with heavy things. Tool packs is being changed. The sensor is knocked out. We want to be able to fall back on a model that is resilient to that, or at least on a set of heuristics, or maybe something that is that is more analytical or a smaller model. But again, all, the, all, all those challenges that, that manufacturers face uh, while, while doing the production uh, of, of AI, we want to provide tools for you to then do the creative and the domain-driven bit. How, um, how suited are these techniques for smaller companies? I mean, you, you know, the way you describe it, you need lots of machines in order to get the patterns, but if you're an SME, does that yeah. limit what's possible? I, do, I, I don't think, I think it, it, it enables uh, all sized companies even more so because as a small company, you might not have the resource to, to, keep, to upkeep something like this in, internally. 
Um, so it is not about federated learning is not about having tens of thousands of devices or something like this. It's about being able to really tap into the potential of your data without moving it physically. And we think this is this is huge. And then we want to again provide you with the tools to to, to organize that in a way that whether you are a big company and you can and you have a serious IT department or you are a small company and, and you have just some people looking after your systems that they can trust this uh, the, the system and you can trust that your machines are not going to fall over and you can really utilize and get value from your ML. And you're using the edge computing for both security and for speed of action. Correct, yes. So uh, speed of action, I think it's obvious the, the, the closer the model to the actual place where the result is required, the better, especially when we do not rely on the network, reducing that yeah, for some of the some of the high speed applications, we need to be like really close. Uh, for example, we had a client who had we were collecting like almost nanosecond data from the from from that process. So this inferences, so the the model results needs to be really quick. For some other for some other um, cases, it might be you know, every five minutes, but still not rely like having this certainty that it's happening right here and right now is much better and security side of course you data never leaves the the system data never leaves your factory floor or your your premise so it's much harder for it to be to be exposed to bad actors please a couple of things to add on that is um if you've got a model that's that's running on your shop floor you um you need to have some understanding of the decisions it's making. So in, unless you have the understanding of uh, and the explainability of that that device, that that component, if it starts making wrong decisions, you don't understand why. It's you know you then maybe have to get an expert in. But if you under, if you've got some understanding of why that process is uh, making that decisions, then you can actually work out how to how to fix that. And I think there's tools that. Um, that are available and still need developing to support that in for for any company so that um, instead of having a, a black box system you can have a clear box system that you can then see inside what is, what is decision making what what do i need to change in, either in my system and my maintenance or is it my um, product that's changed is you know what's causing it to to uh, to change what's causing that thing so that we can actually understand that and then the other thing is is i might not want to do that on the shop floor, I might want to do the learning centrally, uh, so that then I can share that learning um, through all my systems and, and exploit that learning in lots of different places, or maybe even in lots of different companies, so I can sell that sell the learning that I have to other companies as well. Yeah, well, uh, uh, I think federated learning is more of an uh, enabler of the latter thing that you mentioned rather than stopper because. If you have, if you can learn decentrally, that means that you can potentially tap into more data sources, and uh, without centralizing all the data, right? Exactly. But then the, the the learnings that you have, the model that you have, can propagate into into all of the different into all of the different bits. And I like what you said about explainability as well. This is a very big area. This is an area that is very important for applications where physical things are running at high speed and can break and 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 can cause uh, downtime and, um, and huge costs so it is a, a, a very important area which we're looking into as well 
And this also, on some level, comes back to the conversation about domain knowledge, making sure that someone in the company understands what is going on. We come from a consultancy background, so we used to be uh, we used to be hired to build end-to-end -end ML system uh, for clients in different industries, including manufacturing. And one, some of the clients that that we had were complaining that their previous projects they were with the company who just said, "Yeah, yeah, give us all your data. We'll come back with with in in four weeks with some results." which obviously doesn't work. So we were always pushing for that really close collaboration, getting the domain knowledge. But then the projects were fine, but from the manufacturer's from the manufacturer's point of view, the domain knowledge then stayed with us. You know, we put the model into production and then to a, to a certain degree this this time they 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 spent it's it's not it's not staying in the company. So we they constantly needed us to to do the upkeep and um we thought that we can address this by giving them better tools. So they, so when they hire their data team, you can really take one or two data scientists and a data engineer. You don't need a whole new IT department to put all of this into production and to pull all of those intricate, intricate workflows in place. You can have a system that does all that and actually get data scientists to get that domain knowledge, to keep it in the company and to grow this side of business. Thank you. Okay, um, we've got some... We've got some questions from which are perhaps a little bit AI skeptic, which I will now throw at you. Um, one is, um, do you have, I'll, I'll ask three in a batch because we are getting close to the end. First question is, do you have the confidence to deploy AI into a safety critical system? Um, the second one says, AI and machine learning are great for getting close indications. But in manufacturing, we can't accept 98% accuracy for quality control or product sorting. Can we get to 100%? Well, maybe we can accept 98%, don't know. Um, and the third one, which is, which is my favorite, actually, from Sue. And it says, I saw a quote on LinkedIn recently that said, if you torture the data long enough, it will confess to anything. Um, how, how does the panel think that businesses should ensure that data is being used appropriately and without bias? Um, so there's three, three little curveballs there. So, uh, uh, Steve, you, you, maybe it's your turn. Um, yeah, well, simply um, there is, there's opportunities there. Safety critical systems, um, you, you would not rely 100% on an AI system. It has to be over and above. You have to take into account all the other aspects, interlocks, etc. But an AI can add that extra layer on top of it. So don't just rely on that uh, on its own. Um, I think the other question was about the um, the data itself. If you value your data, that's the key. So when you get the data in, you're putting it into a database. So that's adding value to it. You're then doing some um, some ETL with that. That's adding value to it. You're then doing some manipulation. That's adding value. That, that data has now got real value. Be careful of your data. If you give it to another company, you've added value to that data. It's not the company that's adding value that, that, uh, that works with it. It's your data. You've added the value. The next bit is adding more value to it. So value your data. Quite right. You've got to be, you've got to be careful on that. And then really you've got to understand where the data is coming from. Is it coming from manual input? Is it coming from automatic input? Is it coming from um, outside systems? So you can understand the, the governance of that data and the validity of it. So that's another really important aspect with, which goes with the trust as well. 
great. Um, Mustafa, would you like to add anything to uh, to what? Uh, yeah, Stuart probably said? I can uh, you know answer the question about accuracy, which I often face. Okay, customer, I would like to have hundred percent accurate. Okay, so we we need to really understand the limitation of AI. AI is artificial intelligence, right? So intelligence and with artificial. Think about it when we were kids. So we were not perfect, right? It took probably for me uh, almost, uh, you know, a half a century uh, to to learn. Still, we are learning, right? So, but we we are ex expecting uh, AI to be hundred percent accurate on the day one. This is not possible at all. Okay. So what we should be doing then shouldn't be using AI at all. Yeah, we should be using AI. We need to give AI a time to be, be become perfect, right? ChatGPT, Microsoft, everyone we are having, uh, you know, finding bugs and we are fixing it. And it's still learning. It should be a process. So that's what Roman was saying, uh, that, that MLOps, you need to continuously monitor, tune it, and uh, train it, productionizing it. Stuart was also mentioning you need to understand what is you know action or what it is predicting, and whether it is predicting the right thing or not. You need to understand why it is predicting that one, and you need to go and tune the way we do with our kids. So this is a process we need to understand. That's why I said that the basic understanding for AI application is that methodology, and it comes under that. So we shouldn't be expecting AI to be 100% accurate on the day one. And we have to, you know, provide time for uh, to that one. And uh, it, uh, what was another question? Um, <coughs> about appropriate use of data. And uh, so data bias and, yeah. and, 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 you know, the last quotation, which I really liked about <laughs> talking to data for a long time. And yes. So that, that is part of this, uh, you know, nowadays hot topic, which we are calling trust or DAI. The trust or DAI, trust is not only with the model, so it's with the data, right? So the, the, the garbage you will feed, you will get garbage out. Very simple, one thing. Another thing that you know, all of us uh, are diff having different personalities, different mindset, right? Something, uh, if I say to someone, might take it very lightly and as a joke or something, and someone probably can take it very personally and react. So it means that the data, the trust, and uh, you know, the generalization of it, 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 which we call the model generalization or you know, overfitting, it's all is linked together, so which we call as AI governance. And that is a bigger umbrella under that we have got trust, we have got security, everything. So you need to consider everything together to really have level of confidence that yes, the data that I have used is not really biased, doesn't have any bias according to our knowledge. We have done all the checks. When we train the model, we, we kept in mind that the model is not black box at all. We, we have got a way of interpreting the result of it so that we can understand the result, what uh, you know is giving and why it is giving, and how it is performing on production. Okay, the way we train with the data might not be the same uh, as uh, you know the data that we are getting from the production. So there will be some uh, you know de deficiency. 
So how we will be treated with that one? So in order to answer that uh, question, we have to understand the methodology and the whole process and life cycle of AI management. Great, thank you, Roman. I would also, I, I would challenge the notion that you need 100%, to be honest, because if manufacturing only accepted 100%, we wouldn't be having this conversation, right? There is always something to optimize. And what you can often find is that a model with even, because what you're looking for is not 100%, I mean, ultimately, yes, but in the short term, it's better than what you have right now, right? So sometimes a 60, 70% accuracy model can provide you enough insight to have two, three, 5% improvement in your overall process. And then you iterate from there. This, is the, this comes back to the question of ROI. How do you calculate when is your model start affecting your bottom line in a positive way? And, this, and if you track your experimentation and you find that point, that break of point saying, okay, now we're 70% accurate, that means that I reduce my downtime by 3%. This, worth, this is worth the hassle. So we can put it into production and then iterate and improve the model as we go along. So it will never be 100%. Nothing will ever be 100%. There is entropy it's, it's, and, it's, and it's not going away. We need to ask ourselves, what is that that we are looking for to improve? And then find a way to calculate that, the, the, the effect. So, and, and this is a big problem. It's, it's not a trivial, uh, this is not like ROI calculation for AI is not trivial, but this comes back to the, also comes back sort of to the question of what sort of skills do you need to implement AI? And I think that sort of thinking of, okay, I have this problem, like the highest level problem, I want to decrease cost, let's say, right? Then you need to identify an area and then you break it down to a very specific narrow question that can be answered with ML. And then you need to, go all the way back sort of upstream the calculation of how do you need how well do you need the machine to perform for the change in your high level question to towards the effort of implementing it and i think this is the like this sort of vertical thinking and being able to break down those problems is, is very important because then you will be able to see the real value rather than wait for 100 percent which might not mean anything to your real to actual business thank you um, okay, uh, we are overrunning. So, so one very simple final question, and uh, please don't go into huge detail. Um, could you share a successful case study in industry? Um, uh, perhaps the answer yes would be fine, and then we can circulate the, the answer, but we need to keep our feet on the ground at the end. I think. Define successful, but yes. <laughs> yeah, I probably can, uh, you know, anonymize my answer, but I can give you some some uh, thoughts. So before I, uh, you know, go to that one, I will just I would like to finish the, the the previous topic that the 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 main, you know, the thing that we always struggle, always always struggled with that point, that hundred percent accuracy. So we need to have a basic understanding, or have at least this understanding. There isn't any magic bullet in AI. Okay, done. Yeah. There isn't any. Okay, first, then we need to really understand the limitation, and we need to really have a right expectation from AI. If we don't have that one, no data scientist will be able to help us. No, so we will be just struggling, and we'll never get to see the benefit of AI. Okay, okay. right. We, we take that. One. And the the answer to you know, the question that uh, you know I can share. We worked with one. Uh, 
food and drinks industry so they were struggling with uh, their uh, wastage of uh, you know the amount of uh, uh, food product they were topping uh, to their container always they had to maintain the the regulation so so that they, you know the weight really uh, uh, you know within the uh, industry limit and for that they they needed to overtop uh, their item and they were losing over 6 million pound a year across the globe and they don't know really why uh, you know what is causing that and what what should be the recipe so that they can really uh, have the right weight rather than overtopping it. So they came to us and what we can do. I said, okay, let's go for a discovery a, a exercise to understand your process and then see what data might impact the, the weight. And we, we worked together and defined that data space, which we call as a data mapping exercise. And when we have got really good understanding, these are the data, these are the cause, and this is the effect. Okay, can we get, uh, you know, can we have those data from your production? So they help us capturing all those data along with the, the target value of their weight. And then we apply a different data science technique to see whether we can find out a pattern. And we found, found out a nice pattern that yes, you know, for these uh, uh, sensors reading or for these particular variables, you are having some weight, uh, you know, losses or something like that. So if you set up the parameter like that, you will have constantly the right weight that you need to put for your product. And they, they did take that one, they apply their, uh, you know, uh, rules that we have extracted using AI, and they found that, yes, this is really useful. And now they are not overtopping uh, the food and probably not 6 million, they are at least saving two or 3 million pounds per year. So there Very are good. several use cases. <clears throat> that we okay, can well, do. what we can do then is, is if each of you circulate to me your case studies, I'll make sure that everyone that's attended will get hold of them and we may well use them in our publications as well if they're, if they're suitable for that. Yeah, I mean, um, it has to be anonymized. Not, not all of them will be. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, we, won't, we won't abuse any confidences. But, you know, if there yeah. are some examples that we can use. Yeah, there are that, several. That so we always yeah. always say predictive maintenance, predictive maintenance, but that's not the only use case for manufacturing. Yeah. Hundreds of use cases are there. And, uh, you know, I was looking at the number of projects that I've been part of. It was, it was over 200 projects that I've been mm. involved last eight and a half years so means that it's probably at least 100 different use cases that we had for manufacturing that we delivered uh, over uh, you know last eight years okay that, that's great and thank you very much i'm sorry we have overrun by about 10 minutes so uh, all right. um if if everyone would thank our speakers in the usual way um, very good session and thank you very much for uh, for helping us out and uh, coming here thank you Thank you for listening to Talking Industry. Stay tuned across all podcast apps, follow us on social, subscribe to our newsletters, and keep up to date at talkingindustry.org.